sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. All right, welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig, Mitch, Joe Pizzapia, back with you here on the show. It's the 22nd of July, just two days away from opening day, a week away from the NBA, a week away from training camp being back in the NFL. And as we always do, right around, if this is your first time watching the show, around 12.15 Eastern, we take care of everything that's happened in the past. And it's time for this day in fantasy sports history and this day in fantasy sports birthdays. And, of course, we bring in my co-host Joe Pizzapia to go over all of those today. Joe, you ready to rock and roll with a little uh, day in history, a little birthdays, break it all down? I am indeed. I made it just in time for the birthday party to begin. All right. Well, it's a social distancing party, so take a step back. You're a little too close. I will. I promise I will. I don't want to get too close. All right, so here we go. This day in fantasy sports history for the 22nd of July, we begin all the way back in 1945. Joe remembers this well. He was about four years old. The Detroit Tigers and Philadelphia A's play a 24-inning game, and they end up tying by a final score of 1-1. to I remember this game so vividly there. I think Joe Ranieri was there, but uh, he thought the Yankees were playing that game, and he left. 1984, Sevi Ballesteros wins the British Open. He was one of the best uh, at the Open Championship and shoots a course record over four days. 1997, Joe, we have Greg Maddox throwing a 76-pitch complete game, which included only 13 balls. And now, anytime somebody gets close to this, they always say, oh, he threw a Maddox. If you wonder why, this is the game that they're always referring to. And then in 2013... Ryan Braun was suspended on this day for performance-enhancing drugs, which is probably worth a two-hour show and story, and maybe one day they'll end up telling this thing. But there were so many layers, Joe, to uh, Braun testing positive for PEDs. Of course, uh, he had tested positive previously, but said the the person who took uh, his urine test didn't preserve it correctly at the beginning, and he was shaming the guy and made him feel bad, and I... Felt really bad about the whole thing. Now, Braun later apologized, of course, to him after he ended up getting caught. But the other thing with this, and uh, Matt Kemp, who was on the Marlins for a short period of time, who's now on the Rockies, Kemp had uh, Braun not played that season on PEDs. Uh, Matt Kemp would have been the MVP in the National League. So I guess in some ways, Matt Kemp probably thinks that he deserved that trophy. Yeah, I can understand that. If I was Matt Kemp, I'd be a little annoyed about that as well. Uh, but yeah, it was a terrible look. And then the subsequent uh, eventual, yes, it, it was me. I did it. It was all me. It was very embarrassing. It was embarrassing for Braun. It was embarrassing for Major League Baseball, too. I mean, look, you know, we, we understand these guys are trying to get an edge any way they can. And we understand that the rules are in place for a reason. But at the same time, it's, you know, when there's millions of dollars at stake, you're always going to have people pushing the limits of those rules. You're always going to have people trying to look on the peripheral of ways to get above the next guy and the next guy. Because when you win those MVP awards, those turn into big time guaranteed money contracts. And I'll tell you what, if you start putting positive tests in there with voiding people's contracts, I guarantee you that would be the quickest way probably to get through a lot of this in Major League Baseball. But look, you know, it's gotten better over the years. Obviously, you can all look at it. 
there still are suspensions. But the Ryan Braun one, I think, definitely stands out as probably the worst of all because the the duration that it took, the sideways action in the beginning, him just missing everything. And uh, on a more positive note, the Maddox one is a fun one, too. I mean, watching Greg Maddox pitch was always amazing. I used to always, Greg, watch the catcher's mitt. That's what I was looking for and where he would hit that spot. And it was amazing. You didn't watch Maddox. You're watching the catcher's mitt. The guy's control was just unbelievable. It seemed like he never missed wherever the location was. And look, this was a guy who was not throwing 99 miles an hour. This was a guy who knew how to pitch in a located fastball to this day. Still the best pitch you could throw. Yeah, and, and and Maddox, one of the funnier guys too in baseball. Really dry sense of humor, and um, I always love that video with him and Chris Bryant, where he goes out on the field. They find some local guy to throw against a Chris Bryant BP, and then Maddox is just striking him out constantly. It was a really funny video from the past. All right, uh, speaking of the past, it's time to honor this day in fantasy sports birthdays and. Uh, normally, just so you know, when when this show is produced and put on, it's a, it's a team effort with everyone else here. Uh, you know, Brett Levy, Craig Nish, Joe Pizzapia, we're all putting this together. But every once in a while, something pops up, and I wonder how it made our show. And one of these names here is definitely a question as to why they uh, ended up here on Fantasy Sports Birthdays, but we're going to find out because today it wasn't me. Uh, 1957, we have Dave Steeb, former great pitcher with the Toronto Blue Jays. He went on at the end of his career to pitch with the Chicago White Sox. And then we get to 1965, and we see former wrestler Shawn Michaels. Maybe he's a current wrestler. I don't even know. Uh, wrestler Shawn Michaels show up here, Joe. And so I have to ask you, uh, are you the culprit here? for? And, and, and again, no disrespect to Shawn Michaels for wishing him a happy birthday, but it's not often what we have – Without Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant or Ric Flair, some of the major wrestlers, um, I mean, I, I don't know that that he's worthy of this today. Gotta say, ha, ha. Hulk Hogan couldn't even stand in a ring with Shawn Michaels. Okay, Shawn Michaels is the greatest sports entertainer. Probably that ever lived. Bret Hart, very close in terms of in-ring technique, but you know, you think about sports entertainer that ever lived. Shawn Michaels, number one. Uh, well, if you talk to people in the wrestling business, uh, if you talk to my pal Matt Stryker on Diamond Bets, I think he would probably confidently tell you the same thing in terms of in-ring worker, in terms of uh, storyteller in the ring, in terms of promo, in terms of character. Absolutely. And ironically, no, I did not actually put this in uh, the show sheets today, but I'm really happy to see it. Shawn Michaels probably also has one of the greatest wrestling matches, if not the greatest of all time, uh, when you put in that WrestleMania 25 match against The Undertaker. I know there's some other names here, but really, I could do an entire segment of how great Shawn Michaels is. We could do an entire show. Uh, also, his match versus Kurt Angle, the matches versus Chris Jericho. They go on and on and on. Uh, look, Shawn Michaels is the greatest all time, in my opinion. And that opinion is shared by a lot more people than you realize around the business. Greatest all time wrestler is what you're saying. Greatest all time sports entertainer, all around sports entertainer. In the ring, out of the ring, you combine everything together. I think he's the greatest. I think Ric Flair is probably, I, you know what? Ric Flair, number one. Shawn Michaels, 1A. That's how I would put them. Different styles, different times of wrestling as well. And Shawn Michaels now very important in the NXT developmental uh, going down there in Florida right now. He is a, a big reason why that NXT show has really come so far in the last few years. He's one of the agents of the matches, helps them with the choreography, helps them with working out things, things like that. So, uh, yeah, he, he's really important. I know your wrestling kind of stopped somewhere around 1988 or so, but mine has continued on, and trust me. Uh, Shawn Michaels is in a category all into himself. Maybe Ric Flair is with him as well. Probably you could put that together. 
All right, listen, I just wanted to know who I need to have a conference call with after the show. It turns out it's, it's not Brett Levy. That's but it turned out that I'm very pleased about it. Brett, uh, we'll send you over a Zoom link after the show. Um, we'll need you for about 10 minutes Brett, after. I'll defend you with a steel chair. Don't worry. 1966, a great wide receiver with the Los Angeles Oakland Raiders, uh, Tim Brown. Awesome, awesome receiver. A very underrated receiver for many years as well. 1972, we go with former first pick overall, Keyshawn Johnson. Great with the New York Jets, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, uh, and then 1983, we have Steven Jackson, former running back in the NFL with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, once upon a time, I believe the St. Louis Rams, if I'm not mistaken. And then 1995, we end with Ezekiel Elliott, one of the top five picks virtually in every fantasy football draft over the last few years. So we uh, basically spent way too much time on Shawn Michaels here, Joe. So is there anyone else that you would like to wish a special happy birthday to that's actually uh, on here? Hey, listen, we spent a lot of time talking about guys like Ezekiel Elliott. You know, a little love for the sports entertainers who work 365. There's no offseason in wrestling, boys and girls. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Steven Jackson. I think one of the more underrated running backs during his era, a guy that uh, nobody wanted to get in front of the tackle. And Ezekiel Elliott right now is, you know, is on a precipice of building a Hall of Fame resume. I think we can all agree on that. How about you? Any love for anybody here you want to share on the birthday? Yeah, for sure. I think that Tim Brown was one of those guys that for me and and I grew up really rooting for the Raiders many many years ago. Um you know Tim Brown was super reliable. Like that was a guy that always was catching eight balls, getting 100 yards. Maybe he'd have a touchdown or two. Remember he played some years aside Jerry Rice with uh, with the Raiders too, but he was a, a very reliable wide receiver. And I'm glad that the Pro Football Hall of Fame is starting to put those guys into the Hall of Fame. Guys like Art Monk, Tim Brown, they didn't always stretch the field, and don't get me wrong, very early on in Brown's career, he was a guy that could do it. He would have a 40 or 50-yard touchdown, but toward the end, he was more of a possession guy, but still would rack up the yards, the catches, and he was a guy that would always get open for whatever quarterback the Raiders had thrown for them, and believe me, they had a lot of them. All right, we got our sports update with Dan Strafford coming up next, and then when we come back, we're going to dive into some fantasy value with a couple of baseball teams. One of them, you'll be surprised, the Kansas City Royals. We'll be right back after Dan has the update. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. In baseball, we're awaiting official word, but it does seem like the Toronto Blue Jays have found a new home with just days to go before the start of the 2020 Major League season. Hazel May of MLB Network was reporting that the Blue Jays have been told they'll play their home games at PNC Park in Pittsburgh in 2020. The Blue Jays will not be able to play in Toronto after government officials said MLB games would not be allowed in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We await word on an official agreement between the Blue Jays the Pirates, Major League Baseball, and the city of Pittsburgh. In the NBA, we get the National Basketball Association back in our lives on Wednesday. Scrimmages line the day will give us a first look at potential minutes restrictions heading into the restart next week and potential youngsters who will have influence over the Orlando playoffs. Clippers guard Patrick Beverly left Orlando on Tuesday night to address an 
emergency personal matter, and he intends to rejoin the team in the future. That's according to ESPN. They are already shorthanded. Beverly is the second Clippers player to leave Orlando. Martrezel Harrell had an excused absence for a family emergency. If Beverly continues to be tested regularly while he's away and return negative results, he will have to quarantine for four days when he returns to the NBA's campus near Orlando. If he isn't, Beverly could be subject to up to two weeks of quarantine when he gets back. Marvin Bagley's right foot injury will keep him out for the entire restart of the NBA season. Although he is expected to make a full recovery, he'll miss out on the entirety of the bubble season. Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz won't play in Wednesday's scrimmage game for the Orlando Magic. Alex Len is set to sit out for the Sacramento Kings. In the NFL, according to a report on ESPN.com from Dan Graziano, if and when NFL training camps open next week, and it seems like we're heading in that direction, team rosters will include a maximum of 80 players as opposed to the usual 90. This is an effort to help enforce social distancing measures in team facilities. This is according to sources of Dan Graziano's who were on an NFLPA players call Tuesday night discussing details of the league's latest proposal on coronavirus protocols. In the college ranks, West Virginia and defense coordinator Vic Koning have mutually agreed to separate. The school announced Wednesday, a month after it began an investigation into allegations Koning's mistreatment of players. I'm Dan Straffer and this has been your Sports Grid News Update. All right, thanks very much, Dan. We're waiting word, uh, Joe, on the new contract for Mookie Betts, looks like, and a lot of different reports here. And so uh, ESPN was the first to report this. I believe Lou Merloni may have been the first, actually, according to Ken Rosenthal here. Uh, but either way, uh, Joe, Mookie Betts looks like he's going to get somewhere in the 10 to 12-year range and somewhere in the 300 to $400 million range for Mookie Betts to stay in Los Angeles. So... A little bit of a preemptive strike before the Dodgers. And I got to tell you, you know, sometimes, Joe, these contracts work out and sometimes they don't. And I'm not going to be the, you know, the one to predict in nine or ten years what Mookie Betts is going to look like or not look like. But if you want to send a message to your fan base and lock up arguably one of the best players in the game on one of the best teams in the game in the Los Angeles Dodgers, if you're a Dodgers fan right now with everything you have going for you, you got to be really fired up right now. It's, it's, a, it's a really massive deal for him. But it's great news for the Dodgers. They are just so stacked. Yeah, they are. This is really not the Dodgers MO, though. We always talk about they acquire these guys with bigger contracts and they use them for a year or two and then they jettison and move on and continue to turn over the youth and always bring in guys that way. So this is certainly a departure from the Dodger way of the last few years. Yeah. Uh, if Mookie Betts is going to get this kind of money, I can't even imagine what Cody Bellinger is worth. And I'm going to pose this to you, Craig. Do you think this is the Dodger saying it might be cheaper to sign Mookie Betts for a long-term contract now and we're not going to be able to be in the Cody Bellinger sweepstakes in a couple of years because it's going to be so ridiculously high? Because it's starting to feel like that could be part of it. I don't think a 10- or 12-year deal is a good deal for anyone personally. Uh Unless you're signing a guy who's 24 years old, uh, and that's not the case here with Mookie Betts, as great as he is. So, Craig, what does this mean for Cody Bellinger? Yeah, it's a fair question to ask. The other thing that I would ask Joe, too, is that, uh, you know, you look at Kershaw's contract, and and his contract will sort of be, you know, coming toward the end there, too. Maybe that money of Kershaw gets diverted to Bellinger when they decide to do this, uh, but then they'll have to go through the same thing with Walker Bueller, too. Um I don't know how you can look at Bellinger and think for any stretch of the imagination that the Dodgers will be let, uh, willing to let him walk, but they do have a weird way of going about their business. 
So it's not something that I would rule out, but it would seem far-fetched to me coming off the MVP that we're already thinking of, of maybe him taking an exit. But look, that's part of baseball. It's part of what we do. And it's a fair point once we get the terms on, on bets in full to dive into more. But this is going to be the, the most the richest contract, I think, in baseball history, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after this is all over. So uh, we'll update you throughout the day on this. I'm sure Scott Farrell a little bit later will have updates on this uh, here on the show. And if we have something specific before the end of the show, we'll give you those exact terms. In terms of fantasy value, you know who Mookie Betts is. There's no update, no change. Everything stays exactly the same with him on L.A. All right, let's dive into some players that you may not have thought about or even heard about in the fantasy season. I know most of you at this point are either having your drafts or thinking about having them or even potentially looking at a waiver wire. And Joe, a couple of players that I wanted to hit on here, uh, the Kansas City Royals, the back end of their starting lineup. I I know that this isn't sexy, it's not pretty, and it's not fun. I get it. But they do have a couple of guys that are going to get playing time that maybe potentially we weren't really thinking about. And I wanted to dive into their back end of Nicky Lopez and Ryan McBroom. Not household names. There's a really good chance that someone's watching this show right now and saying, I've never heard of either of those two players. It's perfectly fine. A lot of people may not have heard of Nicky Lopez and Ryan McBroom. Uh, But earlier today, the Royals placed Hunter Dozier on the injured list. So we're not going to be seeing him for a while at least a week or two, and that opens the door up for McBroom to play, who had a 361 OBP in 23 games last year. And Nicky Lopez is a starting infielder for them, Joe, and he hit four home runs and stole five bases, and he'll bat ninth for them, and he'll bat right in you know, as soon as he is done. You got Whit Merrifield and Mondesi coming up after him. Uh, I'm not saying that these are starting players, Joe, in a 12-team rotisserie league, a head-to-head league or anything else, but I want to make people aware that there are some players out there that you may not have heard of that do exist that could provide value, especially on Lopez's end. If you prorated his last year over the course of 162, he's a 2020 guy. Yeah, well, first off, I'm bummed about Dozier. Uh, he's one of my favorite guys. We were just talking about him recently on other shows, and he's just one of those guys that just came at a great value. Uh, we were talking about his Woba just yesterday, and then, boom, all of a sudden now he's gone for a couple weeks. So that's a, that's a huge bummer. I'll tell you what. I think I might want to speculate on Ryan McBroom, not because it's just a, a fun name to say, but also because if you look at the minor league track record of Ryan McBroom, I will say it's somewhere around like, uh, an 826 OPS, and that's pretty good. 826 OPS over six minor league seasons is not bad. This is a guy who hit in the high 260s, so he's got a little bit of pop. Uh, the slugging percentage was under 500. It was about 470 or so. So that's a guy where I'm just trying to like, get some some cheap home runs. I think McBroom's the way to go. What do you think about Lopez? Do you think that's a guy that can actually contribute here in the first few weeks of the season for the Royals? Yeah, I mean, it could be. It could be, but I, I think that it's important to note that playing time could be everything this year. And if you know a guy is going to start for 50 games, I think that he needs to be having an extreme amount of tension in fantasy. McBroom is a guy for now. I don't know that he's a guy in two weeks from now. It just kind of depends on Dozier's return. Uh, but uh, certainly Alex Gordon has been with the Kansas City Royals for many, many years, and he's very familiar with everyone that has come through there. In fact, there's some people who say that this is his last year. Uh, playing in Major League Baseball, but uh, Gordon was asked specifically about the back end of that lineup with Lopez, with McBroom, and how it could help their season. All right, so uh, there was Alex Gordon discussing uh, the value of both of those players, Joe, and certainly I think we'll just have to pay more attention to see how that season plays out with them. 
also say uh, whoever is getting the at-bats from a daily fantasy point of view, uh, Ryan McBroom might be a min-salary kind of guy. Nicky Lopez could be a min-salary kind of guy. That's the kind of dude that you can put in a lineup, pay up a pitcher, and if they're going to get a couple at-bats there, there, they're decent depending on where they are in the lineup. I would just pay attention to which guy it is, and if anybody gets off to a hot start for at least the first few days of the season, that could be somebody worth using in DFS. All right, uh, let's move on from the Kansas City Royals to the New York Mets. And Pete Alonzo, of course, is uh, getting ready for that season coming up here on Friday. Uh, Alonzo had one of the more magical rookie seasons that we've seen all time. And uh, he was the home run champion, of course, last year. Came out of nowhere, home run derby champion. Just had this magical 2019 where everything went right for him. Right now, he's 10 to 1 odds to win the 2020 home run championship. If you go back on demand, Joe and I... Uh, broke down some of this. We're going to get into a little bit of a deeper dive on Pete Alonso and his chances of basically repeating this in a 60-game season. Uh, but, Joe, look, um, Alonso's in a great spot. He doesn't have to come into this season worrying about if he's going to start or if he's going to be on the bench. And isn't it crazy to think that a year ago in about four months when we were in March that people were debating Alonzo or Dominic Smith? That's really <laughs> where we were at a year ago. <laughs> Look, uh, Pete Alonso is a guy that I got to watch a lot in the minor leagues uh, over the last two years before he came up. And uh, I was just glowing about him in the Black Book. If you go back and read the 2018 Black Book over on Amazon, you'll see the Pete Alonso thread there, which is, hey, look, this guy's got Cody Bellinger kind of power. And he is a good hitter uh, if he gets the playing time. And I never thought he would start with the Mets. I really did not think they were going to break camp with him. And they did. It was the right move. And he really has changed the face of this organization. Um, 10 to 1 shot at a home run title again. I wouldn't put it past him. However, I want to tell everybody there's a better version of a hitter in Pete Alonso that was in the minor leagues that you haven't seen at the major league level. Uh, last year, at the, at the end of last year, especially when he was chasing that home run record, I think he gave up a lot of that average to kind of hit for some power, and the strikeouts went up a little bit. So I actually think that he is less likely to lead the league in home runs this year, but you're more likely to get a better version of Pete Alonso as a hitter because a better one does exist. And I think he was basically swinging for the fences the last two months of the season, and I, I, I don't think he has any regrets about that whatsoever, but I don't think in terms of wagering 10-1 to 1 on a long I don't think it's the best one out there on the board. All right. Well, uh, Pete Alonso met with the media in New York yesterday and discussed uh, some of the differences in baseball going into this season and just kind of having to keep things loose and fun. We're gonna, you're going to see a bunch of guys uh, having fun out there. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a loose but an intense type of atmosphere in the dugout from what I feel. And uh, and it's going to be there, there's a especially in shortened seasons uh, for me, my. I guess my experience that I can draw from is, is college is, is from college and there is a ton of uh, strange antics and superstitions. So you're going to see pretty much uh, all the tricks come out of the bag uh, throughout the course of the year. So uh, it's going to be fun. All right. Well, uh, there is Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets. And now let's take a look at the 2020 home run championship on FanDuel and the FanDuel Sportsbook. Alonzo 10 to 1, Gallo 11 to 1, Trout 11 to 1. Stanton 14 to 1, Bellinger, Alvarez both 17 to 1, and uh, Nolan Arenado at 18 to 1. That's where the, the uh, updated odds are as of this morning on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Let's also keep in mind, Joe, that uh, right now uh, Alvarez is not with the Astros. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I would not take Mike Trout considering I think everybody knows at this point he's going to miss a few games at least. Could be more, could be less, but a little bit of a risky proposition there. Any of these, as, as we get down toward the wire here, interest you? I, I personally have said I, I'll probably take a shot on a Suarez at like 25-1 to 1 or 30-1. to 1. I don't love any of the names here. I just I think if I'm going to throw this dart, I may as well back up and throw it further. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Eddie Rosario and Nelson Cruz are the twins or two guys you could possibly throw that dart on. I would also, if you are going to go chalk, I think Stanton, who's healthy right now, uh, and I say right now, and Cody Bellinger at 14 to 1 and 17 to 1. To me, I think those are the smartest chalk of what's out there on that particular board. But don't discount those guys on the twins either. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for those players on the Twins. Think about how many home runs they hit last season, and everyone looks and says, oh, it can't happen. I mean, the Twins broke the home run record for most in a single season last year, so I wouldn't rule out Sano, I wouldn't rule out Cruz, and certainly I wouldn't rule out uh, Donaldson, or maybe even Max Kepler, who, by the way, if he leads off, will have the most at-bats among all of those Minnesota Twins. So I would say that if you're betting on FanDuel and you're thinking of a home run champion, aim high. Go, go, you know, shoot the stars on them. You got a shot. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today with some playing time in Miami. We'll have the ladies on that when we come back here on Sports Grid. Game time decision. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Miss, Joe Pizapia. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid. Go over to SportsGrid.com to catch all of our latest programming and everything that we have going on here with our great channel. And, of course, coming up a little bit later today, Scott Farrell going coast-to-coast. Make sure you catch his show like I do every single day that's coming up in just a few hours from now. Uh, As we bring Joe Pizapia back into the fold here, we've got a lot to get to in terms of some I I think some interesting baseball discussion, and this is what I have been craving as a baseball reporter to sort of put the pandemic stuff aside and just dive right into baseball situations. And we finally got one over the last couple of days, at least in my mind, we got one. I don't know. We'll see how Joe feels about it. But uh, look, uh, we'll go to Miami here for a minute. And the Marlins have clearly not been a good baseball team over the last couple of years. They've made several trades. Uh, several have gone well, one of which, of course, is the one that everyone talks about, which is the one that they traded Christian Yelich. They acquired four players in return, Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, and Jordan Yamamoto. Three of those four players look like they can potentially be contributors to the team. But the main one at this point is their outfielder, Monte Harrison. And Harrison, who was optioned back in March to their uh, spring training, back to their minor leagues, Uh, came with this new spring training 2.0 and started hitting the cover off the ball, then went through some struggles, and then the Marlins basically decided, hey, look, we want this guy to get more seasoning, and instead of having him on the big league team, and you can make the case he's better than some of the players on the big league team, they want him getting quality at-bats in Jupiter against some of their minor leaguers, and yesterday I asked Monte Harrison if he thought he deserved to be on the Marlins' 30-man roster. Thank you. 
Mate, do you feel that you've done enough at this point to earn a spot on the 30-man roster? Um, as I, I really can't determine that. I just step on the field and play. Now, whether that's whether they want to talk to start me in the big leagues or whether they don't, um, I don't have control of that. The only thing I have control of is the way I step on the field and play. So um, I, that's kind of a difficult question to really answer. I just I just play baseball and worry about what Monte can control doing the mind. Sure. I, I guess I could, I could repose to just being in the big leagues. Do you feel like you personally are, are ready to play every day in the big leagues right now? Maybe I can ask it like that. 100%. I feel I prepared myself mentally and physically to be in the big leagues. Uh, Watch other people. I want to experience this with other people that's been in the big leagues. Uh, just watching and learning. Um, I think I'm ready for the big leagues. I don't. I, actually, I don't think I'm ready. I know I'm ready. And um, whenever it's time for me to step on the field and play, uh, my player is going to be ready to play. All right, Joe. Uh, well, there you have it, Joe Monte Harrison of the Miami Marlins. In what I thought was a pretty good interview yesterday, that was conducted clearly. He wants to be on the team, feels like he should be on the team, but didn't make the team. And he won't be the first. He wasn't the first. He won't be the last to have this happen to him in baseball. But thought that I would just bring that to the show today. I thought it was an interesting conversation. It was. Uh, look, Monte Harrison is a very interesting asset, too, in Major League Baseball. This is a guy that has a lot of speed. Uh, this is a guy that has to pop in the bat as well. The problem is the contact rate. The problem is he's got almost 700 strikeouts in just 500 minor league games. That is not a good number, Craig, no matter how it you sound slice high, it. sounds high, Joe. I don't know. It sounds like a lot. It's, it's, it's very high. Well, look, one a game is high, but 700 to 500, that is not the aggressive. And look, here's the thing. It's not a great ratio, right? But at the same time, when you're, when you're talking about this kid and you want him to get more at-bats, the best place for him to get at bats right now is at the major league level because there's nothing going on. These inner squad games are not going to tell you anything about Monte Harrison. So either this is just a financial move here that they're making. Uh, it's it's a little puzzling to me at this point. For my money, I think you should just let the go out the kid go out and play and see what he's got here and start to turn this thing over and find out what are the assets you are going to rebuild this thing around. Because I got news for you, everybody. Lewis Brinson was the guy in that deal. Okay, so anyone was trying to sell you that Monte Harrison was the main piece, they're trying to sell you on the back end. At the time, it was Lewis Brinson, so you've already failed there. And now you're on the precipice of failing again if you don't get this kid some at-bats and figure out what he is. Unfortunately, Brinson did not work out. I think we can all agree on that at this point, which is unfortunate, but it's true. And now with Monte Harrison, if you want this kid to get at-bats, the place for him to get at-bats is with the major league roster. It is not down there playing inter-squad games, trying to figure things out. I understand the strikeout rate is a problem, but look, if he's going to get the best instruction, it's going to be around other major leaguers and picking their brains and starting to talk to them. At a certain point, you got to just try and see what goes on here because I think the talent is there. Certainly, yeah, the athleticism is there as well. The athleticism for, for Monte Harrison is off the chart. But, Craig, I think it's just a matter of getting this guy at bat to the major league level, and let's just see and see if he can improve there at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I agree with you in, in a lot of that, and, and I do think that inter-squad games are not going to get him better. The Marlins' point is that he's going to be facing two pitchers who are in the top 20 prospects and pitching in all of baseball in Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera, but I think that we've discussed this before. It is not the same as facing an opponent that's going to throw high and inside. Those guys are not going to do that at the minor league level to Monte Harrison. Well, uh, their own guy. Say, of course, they're not. Well, who's gonna who's gonna yeah. endanger their own guy? I mean, that's just craziness. No, it's, it's not gonna happen. That's that's why this inner squad for the last two weeks, anybody that took it seriously, 
that was a joke. There was nothing that you could possibly get out of that. Now, these preseason games that are going on right now, yeah, I mean, they're facing their opponents. So there's certainly a chance of those pitches coming in and having to figure that out. Uh, Don Mattingly, who was the manager of the Miami Marlins, uh, ended up speaking right after Monte Harrison. And I asked Mattingly uh, about what Monte said, which basically was saying that uh, Monte feels that he's ready. Hey, Don, I hope you had a good trip. Um, just a, uh, a quick thought. Um, we just spoke to Monte a while ago. He, he was available to the media. And uh, I asked him if he thought that he was ready uh, for the big leagues in, you know, right now. And he said, I don't think I'm ready. I know I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> do, do you share that same sentiment at this point? Uh, if you asked me, if you were going to ask money that question, what he was answer would be, that would be the answer I would think he would give you. And I think that tells you about his personality, that he is a confident guy, uh, believes in himself, believes in his talent, and believes that no matter what situation, he's going to end up figuring it out. Right. And, and we believe that, too. Um, but like we told Monte and then tell you the same thing we told him is that we didn't want him here being a pinch runner, you know, and a defensive replacement. And he's going to be in Jupiter and he's going to be getting the bats off six and Max Meyer and Trevor Rogers and all our our good young pitching. And they're going to game plan like they would in the big leagues. You know, we've, we've talked about it. We're going to game plan down there to try to get Monte out and our hitters out so they'll grow. So he's going to keep getting better down there. Uh, and when Monte comes, you want him in the lineup. Yeah. You know, if, if we thought we were going to start Monte three or four days a week, Monte would be here. But if you tell me that he's going to pinch run and get an at-bat here or there, uh, I don't, we don't think that's the best thing for Monte. Um, right now so but monte's answer does not surprise me we, lo we love this guy and his confidence um but we think what's best for him right now is is right where he's at all right joe so there you go you buying you buying that fantasy or reality you like that or no <laughs> oh man look if he's got that sort of confidence then what are you worried about him failing at the major league level if he's got that kind of confidence that things don't go well for him right away where he is a strikeout machine that he's not going to get down on himself, this is exactly the kind of player that you can force a little bit. This is exactly the kind of player you want to show your fan base that you're going to recoup something. I'm looking at some of the names here on the Major League roster, and now that you have the DH, I just don't understand why you can't find a spot for him three to four times a week. I think that's way more beneficial than his inner squad games are. Can you commit to putting him in the lineup three times a week and getting some starts with this lineup and this depth chart? I think the answer is absolutely yes. And if he's the kind of kid that has that kind of swagger and confidence about him that he believes he should be there and he's ready to be there and failure is not going to throw him, then throw him out there and see what you can get. That's my opinion, Craig. I don't know where you stand on it, but I say sooner than later here. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting conversation. I think that he made his claim to make it. He also struck out a lot in Camp 2.0, but hopefully we'll see him in the big leagues soon. Somebody we will see in the big leagues on opening day will be in the Colorado Rockies outfield, and that is Sam Hilliard, who uh, has made the Rockies in 2020. He has, he has been informed. He's also probably going to bat in the back of the Rockies lineup, and also with the designated hitter, Hilliard told the media that certainly there's a chance he could play some there as well. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a big, a big thing for me. You know, it's just an opportunity to get more at bats and an opportunity to ultimately help the team in, in different ways. And so, whenever I heard about that, I was excited. Um, 
like I said, it just sounds like more opportunities, uh, not just for me, but for everyone. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. And we're looking forward to seeing Hillier, Joe. I know that he was a key piece on a couple of my fantasy teams. I took a shot there with him, uh, thinking I'm getting 81 games at Coors, and now I'm getting 30. But look, it's still half the games that I'm getting with him, and you and I have talked about him extensively and just how good he looked last year. Bottom line is it's a Coors Field player, and don't you have to take a shot on a guy at Coors? Like, you have to do it. I mean, his OBP was over 350 last year, seven home runs, some stolen bases. I I, I honestly, Joe, have no idea Hillier it is. But here's what I know. He's on the Rockies, so I'll take a shot. I don't know if Sam Hilliard knows how good Sam Hilliard could be. And this was another guy that when you look at the Woba last year, the Woba was outstanding in that small sample size. And we get it. It's a small sample size. But like Craig is saying, the guys in Colorado, why wouldn't you take a shot on him? He's got power anyway. I think that Ian Desmond opt-out was really the path for playing time for him. I think that was the biggest key, even more so than the DH. It was the Ian Desmond opt-out because I think he was their best option out there in the outfield there after Blackman uh, to get everything solidified out there. And I think Hilliard is going to play. And look, whether you don't uh, or you do own season-long shares of him in the DFS world. This is another guy that when you're trying to get some pieces of those Colorado games, why wouldn't you try to get uh, Sam Hilliard, a guy who's going to be a lot cheaper than the Trevor Story salary or the Nolan Arenado salary. So those are the kind of guys that I would be looking at to that second tier group of Colorado guys, the McMahons of the world, the Hilliers, because they're more cost efficient and they can give you just as much offense on any given night in Colorado. By the way, Craig, some really good fashion stuff going on here in baseball. I like the uh, the different colored Rockies hat. I like the uh, the black on gray Mattingly uh, hoodie thing he was wearing there. Some some fashion forward MLB stuff. It's very exciting to see. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, not something that we've gotten in the past, by the way, all these great Zoom interviews the teams are doing. All right, uh, let's close out with some discussion on Yoan Mankata of the Chicago White Sox. Mankata is now back with the club. He's made his debut. He had a fantastic year last year, and people think that this is the big breakout year coming. The White Sox are loaded, 25 homeowners, 10 stolen bases last year. Uh, He is going to be ready for the opener. Of course, the opening day pitcher is Dallas Keuchel of the Chicago White Sox. Keuchel had his media session yesterday and talked about how great it is to have Mankata back in their lineup and playing third base. I was a little surprised, but then, I I mean, again, he's, he's one of the most athletic guys, I think, on the field at any point in time. And He's still young enough that he's got those fresh legs under him at any point in time. If it takes three months off or takes half a game off. So I would say, yeah, I was surprised, but I mean, it is, it is Moncada. So um, we expect a lot out of him. He, he expects a lot out of himself and that's really bi- the biggest factor is he expects to be in there on opening day. And uh, this was a, a really, really good, uh, really good start to the uh, second preseason for him. Yeah, Joe, there's there's a lot of helium on all the White Sox, and I think that there should be. I'm starting to buy in more and more uh, on this team, and Mancata in particular is a player that really has a tremendous ceiling, and we're seeing it now. Yeah, I agree 100%. Anybody who hits over 900 OPS and over 300, I got my eye on. And he's only 24 years old, turning 25 this year. So sky's the limit for Mancata. Yeah, no doubt. Mancata, Lewis Robert, Giolito. Uh, this core of Tim Anderson, magical, uh, young superstars potentially coming for the White Sox. We'll be back coming up in just a couple of minutes here on SportsGrid. Don't go away.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And welcome back, Fantasy Sports. Today, as we close out this first hour of the show, Joe and I will be back in just a few minutes as we take you through the 1 o'clock hour of our program. We'll recap everything and happening in baseball. Really bad beat in DFS. Actually, I mean, it's, it's like not even a bad beat when you win the amount of money that our guest is going to tell you that he won. But I suppose in the end, when you end up losing six figures and you could have won it, uh, it's, you never had it. But I, I don't want to ruin the story for you, so we'll have it in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but, Joe, the common theme that we've had here in sports over the last few years is former athletes buying teams or wanting to buy teams. And there is a report that with the Minnesota Timberwolves being sold, that former great Minnesota Timberwolf, former great Boston Celtic, Kevin Garnett is willing to step up to the table and potentially get involved in the buying process. And I think that we probably understand that Garnett is going to have to have partners for this. Because uh, you got to have billions in sports to buy a team. Uh, maybe Garnett does somewhere. I have no idea. But I'm, I'm guessing that there's going to be a partnership somewhere, just like it is with A-Rod and J-Lo and Derek Jeter and, and some of these other, and Michael Jordan, some of these other people who have been involved in ownership. But what would it be like for KG to own the T-Wolves? Well, it's kind of an amazing thing we're seeing with some of these ex-players who have made so much money that they can go into ownership groups now as they're buying teams. And I don't know, maybe in our lifetime we're going to see that change over where ex-players are going to be running teams. And and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe that solves a lot of union issues. I don't know. We'll find out. But I know A-Rod is talking about maybe having a salary cap in Major League Baseball and being positive about that. And a lot of people are kind of laughing and mocking that, considering he was the guy that kind of broke the ceiling of salaries. So who knows where all this is going? But I think it's a very interesting trend in sports for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that Mets sale, too. I think that that's going to be a fun one as it gets down here uh, and the season opens. I, I Just like the Mookie Betts story, we're going to have a lot of cool baseball stories really to get to, I think, over the next couple of days. Uh, all right, so we'll take a brief time out here. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to hear from New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge on the restart of the season and some of his concerns or non-concerns for the start of 2020. Uh, also, as I teased, we'll have the bad beat coming in DFS golf. And then we're going to dive into some potentially traded players in fantasy, the players that are on the move the most in fantasy leagues. Joe and I will be right back here on SportsGrid on Fantasy Sports today in just two minutes. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 